With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to An Hour in the Garden. My name is Paul Peacock. An Hour in the Garden is a weekly podcast that takes you on a journey through the gardening year. You can subscribe on iTunes and if you like us, Please rate us on iTunes and other social media. You might also like to listen to our other podcasts, Recipe for the Day, Making Cheese at Home and The Sausage Podcast. And very soon we're going to have a Good Life podcast that focuses on growing and keeping garden livestock. You can find all of our work on www.kitchennewbie.com and we hope you will sign up to our newsletter. Hello and welcome to the Gardening Podcast. It's the end of September and there's a number of things I'd like to talk about over the next 30 minutes or so. Um, First of all, different types of containers that I've been using. I thought it might be quite fun to have a, a quick scan through all of those. And then plants that deter. And this is essentially the relationship of the gardener, the house and the cottage garden. Um, Cottage gardens not just about vegetables and chickens. They're about lots of things. Um, And then some house plants that actually clean the house. (laughs) I don't mean with a brush and shovel, but... You know, some house plants that make the atmosphere um, much better and healthier to live in. And you'd be quite supply, surprised to to um, to hear some of the plants and, and what they what they do. And then I'd like to look at a report from Kew Gardens every year, or every so often they do a state of the world's plants report, and this is um, particularly the state of the world's fungi and you can get this report from the state of the world's fungi.org on the website on the uh, internet and uh, again there's some quite interesting um, points that are made there so let's get on Um, homemade boxes for growing in I've got a number of different kinds of of boxes of different shapes usually made out of spare wood usually made out of softwood and been um, treated but after some of them after five or six years are beginning to um, fall to pieces and so they're constantly being replaced and also uh, when things come along especially if you're a smallish garden like I've got and you want to pack in um, as much as you possibly can then you you um, take on board almost anything. I have grown, for example, carrots in old boots before today. 
and um, nothing wrong with that. Old coal scuttles are probably our American friends and most of the UK people that listen to our podcast won't know what a coal scuttle is. We've got a couple in our house because we still have fires and you it's kind of a container in which you put coal which you can then throw onto the fire as you, as required. And some of them are, are better than others, I must confess. But um, yes, I've grown in old coal scuttles to all kinds of things. Gloves I've grown, herbs in gloves, all sorts of pots from growing cress in yoghurt pots to um, setting off seeds in plastic seed trays that are made out of whatever comes, you know, whatever wrapping is in meat or whatever it might be, um, rather than throwing them away, giving them an extra life uh, to keep them out of landfills. And therefore, of course, also keeping them out of the sea, which seems to be a really big thing. But the one that I've used more more than any, any of the others um, are pallets. Pallets are really useful. If you can get hold of a pallet, um, then you can do all kinds of things. Usually pallets have got um, a slat down the middle uh, and then you've got um, sort of gaps between the two uh, with um, a small leg affair with another piece going across the bottom so that a pallet truck can pick it up and move it and Put it, stack it wherever it needs to be stacked. Now, one of the things that I've done with pallets is to get some uh, old material. What have I used? I've used old jumpers that have uh, shrunken in the wash. I've used old shirts that have become um, too old and too scruffy to wear. I've used um, canvas, um, all kinds of things. I've used plastic. Uh, tarpaulins uh, and basically what I do is use a um, a staple gun you, but you don't need a staple gun you could just tack it with with nails if you wanted to do um, a staple gun and for each of the open spaces in the slats I've made a little kind of bag that goes around the whole of the slat so um, there's probably about eight slats on a pallet um, sorry, eight holes on a pallet. So I need eight pieces of material to fit those holes. The whole thing is, is usually being um, stained or painted or um, cleaned up in some way or another. On the allotment, uh, I've just used them bare and turned them into a kind of a fence affair. And then each of the bags that I've made gets filled with compost and then that is then uh, planted in. What have I planted in these? I've planted tomatoes um, and cucumbers and they're really useful for that. The bags are actually pretty big. They're as big as, well, probably as big as half, oh, and that's another thing actually, they're probably as big as half a grow bag and you're usually expected to put three tomato plants in a grow bag. Um, I have used grow bag material um, in um, these things as well and and so there's plenty of room to grow a tomato, um, especially one that will tumble, like a, you know, the, the tumbling tom. And there's plenty of room to grow cucumbers in these. 
I've also grown strawberries and um, spring onions, um, lettuces, radishes. All of the salad crops go very nicely in these. And the, the beauty of them is that if you just bang a steak of any old description in the ground, you can rest it almost anywhere and, uh, and leave it. But also you can put it against a wall. And that's really quite quite useful because um, some of the walls act as heat traps, particularly our cottage walls, which are kind of two feet thick, made out of rock, and um, they will um, absorb lots of heat in the summertime and will extend the growing period for that well into October. The The really great thing about them is that they are kind of slug free uh, you've, of course you have to be careful that you're not introducing slugs and snails with the compost you use but on the whole they are pretty much easy to grow in and uh, look superb when they uh, are all grown out because the whole thing is covered with leaf and hopefully fruit but you don't have to just stick with um, uh, food crops you can put any number of different kinds of plants um, in these if you want to. Now, the other way of doing this is where you've got your opening is you can nail a piece of wood into that opening to make a shelf. And then on the shelf, you can then put pots of all kinds of types, usually quite small pots, but you can put pots there nonetheless. And they make um, a pretty good sort of how can I put this when you've sewed and you've potted on into maybe a three inch pot or a five inch pot then it makes a good place for them to go and particularly if you've got space at the back of the greenhouse for one of these then it's a, an ideal uh, shelving situation that you don't have to really um, take a great deal of room up because they're only you know sort of 8 10 12 inches wide so that's fairly straightforward fairly easy to do uh, which is fairly good now you can also um, if you dismantle them turn them into a-frame type racks so if you take the the legs off uh, but then nail a piece of wood to the um, to the whole of the slats so on either side and then um, another piece at the back to allow it to stand up against it so itself so it's a bit like an a-frame then you can have different levels of shelves in the holes a bit like we were just talking about but they are standalone and they'll go anywhere which is um, really quite um, useful particularly if you have to move things about when we had our training center and we would do things like teach people how to make cheese and sausage and various other things and gardening as well we used to make some of these and leave them outside the shop with all kinds of plants on there and it was um, really very 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 successful now you can build these together and put make fences with them you don't have to um, nail them up or screw them up or, or, or all that I have done with them is to make a kind of a sun trap 
um, wall out of using um, cable ties to hold them together. And the thing about cable ties is that you can move the individual um, pallets so that the whole thing will stand up nicely. Of course, you have to be careful if the wind comes up and uh, that needs a little bit more support. But you can make all kinds of nice little walls out of these, which people look askance at them at first when they first see the fact that you've got uh, this wall made out of pallets. But as soon as everything has grown over those pallets, then they actually really do make for um, a, a really nice display. And you can't actually see the fact that there's pallets underneath them. Now, the uh, other things that I've used, uh, dustbins. And with, with great success, old burners. You know, you go to the garden centre and you buy an, what they call an incinerator, which is hardly really an incinerator at all. It looks like a dustbin, but it's got holes in it. It usually has a lid with a hole in the middle and like a little flue. I actually use them for smoking sausages and um, fish and other things too, but um, <clears throat> that's a different story altogether. Um, and yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I suppose, a bit of a tramp when it comes to scrounging people's uh, old waste bins. I give them a good clean out and then fill them with compost and growing them. Make sure they've got plenty of drainage. So at the moment, I've got an incinerator that has become past its best. The thing about these incinerators is that the metal isn't particularly strong, and so therefore it, it rots away, particularly because you know, you're applying heat to the thing all the time. It, it rapidly uh, degrades the whole thing. And... Um, you can fill up with compost and I've grown potatoes for a long time in those. But I also have at the moment some, um, from my next door neighbour, was um, a kitchen bin. It's actually rather a posh kitchen bin really. And um, there's some holes in the bottom for a drainage and it is then becoming um, a nice home for carrots. And you will get some great long carrots in there because it's about two foot six to three foot getting on for a meter tall uh, and so that's going to be really quite good um, we also have a toolbox <laughs> you know you can go to these b&q type places the uh, and buy big plastic garden boxes for supposedly keeping your tools in and they're actually made out of plastic well, I've got one of those. It's a very decent size. It's about about 1.25 meters by around about 50 centimeters wide by around about 75 centimeters deep, and um, full of compost, and um, at the moment full of nothing because we took the potatoes out of them. But next year I'm going to be going for some, um, maybe three cauliflowers in there. And see if we can't grow some really special cauliflowers. But uh, <clears throat> that's uh, by the by. Other things, gutters. A fixing gutter against the wall uh, with a slight um, camber on it, a slight tilt on it, allows you to water at one end and for it to trickle down 
and uh, go to the other end. I've done this particularly successfully with strawberries. A gutter full of strawberries has been um, really worth doing and uh, attached to the wall you can you don't have to permanently attach it you can just put some button buttons on the wall and, uh, and fix the whole thing up and if you are particularly clever you could have a zigzag of gutters um, <laughs> growing uh, where your uh, your house gets most sun or your uh, greenhouse area or whatever it might be the wall anything that's facing the south you'll get a really fantastic crop uh, and that's really fine drain pipes again back to carrots we used to grow carrots in drain pipes for showing purposes but you can grow almost anything in a drain pipe it's uh, a really quite a gorgeous thing to use cut off at um, 8 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches, uh, filling with compost, plonking in the ground, makes brilliant spaces for individual um, lettuces or individual uh, garlics. The mind boggles what you can grow in, in, a, in a drain pipe that's been cut up. So keep your eye open for all drain pipes. Um, bags of all kinds. Now I usually have in the in the garage somewhere which is actually full of wood because Darren makes things in there I usually have doweling and uh, basically it's a very simple thing uh, to use doweling on which you can hang bags anything from uh, plastic bags ordinary plastic bags which you can fill full of compost and you'll get a season's growth out of it um, to old bags that are going to be thrown out it's uh, uh, and particularly in in these days of um, plastic uh, lack of plastic waste or get dealing with plastic waste it's a, it's a brilliant way of using up um, all those myriad plastic bags that we end up in the house and and so basically all you do is you put the handles through the dowel fix the dowel um, in whatever way you can either with um, some stakes in the ground or on a washing line or, or almost anything and uh, you can grow away to your heart's content I've tended to grow potatoes like this and it really has been uh, quite a success the same goes for uh, feed bags we have chickens and I use feed bags in much the same way uh, except that I'd simply just roll back the tops uh, fill with compost and because the feedbacks are black lined it, that is perfect for growing potatoes but they're also pretty good for growing mushrooms too um, while we're on the point of hanging on doweling um, milk bottles I <laughs> they look a bit silly but as soon as you've got the plant growing in them then that's perfectly fine now obviously I don't mean a glass milk bottle I mean one of those big three and a bit litre, um, nearly a gallon sized milk bottles that you can get. And you cut out the top a little bit more, put a few holes in and then feed the handle through the dowel and you um, plant your uh, salady type crops in, in each of them. And 
it works. It really does work. And people look at them and think, oh, that's neat. <laughs> they, they forget that it's a milk bottle on, on a stick in the garden. So it's really up to your imagination as to how much you can do and what you can do and how easy and um, how complicated it can become. Now, plants that deter. And this is the, the cottage garden. One of the reasons for the cottage garden is not just, and, and this is quite literally more in the United States than in the UK, although in the UK we still do have insect problems. We have, um, particularly, you go to Scotland, there are midges everywhere. So um, many plants, particularly for in the house, actually deter all kinds of things. So I'm going to go through a list of the ones that I've kind of uh, gathered together. And obviously we're coming into October now, so it might not mean much for right now, but for next year, particularly if you do have problems with um, insects. Now in our cottage, we, for the first time really, in um, seven years, nearly eight years, we've had difficulties with flies. And that was probably because we had such a hot summertime. Um, so basil. Now you'll find that any of the aromatic type plants uh, will do something similar to this. Basil are good at getting rid of ordinary domestic flies. You know, the, the, the blowflies, Musca domesticus and, and also uh, mosquitoes. If you've got lots of basil around the house, then um, that's fine. And basil is such a plant that you can grow it in your house in pots very successfully anyway. And uh, it's it's really is, does work very well at keeping them down. Fennel is another aromatic plant which is good against aphids. Uh, aphids in particular don't like fennel at all. So if you're growing fennel not very far from things like um, tomatoes um, or, or a black fly where you're on on beans then um, fennel is a good one now you have to be careful because you can get um, a bit of cross-contamination in the in the flavor fennel is very strong about the root so that's fine also fennel works with slugs and snails and uh, the, yeah, they don't like it. Uh, lavender, most flies, but thankfully not bees. Lavender is pretty brilliant with things like hoverflies and uh, obviously bees. Bees love it. But um, again, your average housefly doesn't like it. Nearly all insects um, don't like thyme. And so some sprigs of thyme around the house are really quite useful, uh, as particularly where you've got your food. Uh, this is one that I that I've I picked up from an old book somewhere. I can't remember which book it was, but petunias <laughs> don't um, deter. Well, they deter. They don't do very well for um, asparagus beetles. <laughs> How weird is that? It's not something I've tried. But apparently, if you grow petunias near your asparagus, then um, you get fewer asparagus beetles. 
Now, alliums, alliums are fantastic plants for deterring stuff. They will contaminate, uh, flavour-wise, other, other crops. Um, so you have to be sort of judicious when you use it. So, you know, things like onions, obviously, but also the ornamental alliums, which you have to remember, of course, they can be poisonous. Um, but all mollusks, mollusks don't like alliums. Um, and also carrot flies are confused by them. They, they, they tend to avoid wherever they pick up allium flavours, um, allium molecules in the air. Um, similarly, chrysanthemums. Nearly all insects um, don't like chrysanthemums. And I was thinking about this, about in terms of um, dahlias. Uh, you don't tend to get many insects around dahlias, except for earwigs. <laughs> I spent many a happy hour getting rid of the earwigs from dahlias. Um, rosemary is good against um, red spider mites, and also is good against fleas. Fleas. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's going to keep the fleas away completely. And I'm also not suggesting that if you put rosemary on your dog's collar, then the fleas will um, become terrified and hop off. But um, they do have, uh, rosemary does have an effect on fleas. I also read somewhere that they have an effect on ticks, but I don't have any real um, evidence for that. Cloves. Um, crushed cloves in little um, dishes here and there are good at, at deterring mosquitoes um, so um, there it goes a, a list of uh, plants that are good at shifting uh, or helping to shift um, different um, usually insect pests but similarly um, household pollution um, house plants uh, and you'll be quite surprised by some of these um, aloe you know aloe vera apparently is really good because its chemistry allows it to or doesn't allow it, it makes it um, release oxygen at night as well as during the course of the day and I'm not quite sure about how that works but apparently it really does work and so it can freshen up your uh, bedroom and uh, obviously we all know or um, have experienced the value of aloe uh, for other things burns and um, skin problems and that it really does work wonders but apparently it's really good at um, doing that now this is I've got a confession to make <laughs> because I used to do this at school when I was a teacher I used to teach in a um, educational, um, we used to call it EBD schools, where, where children are challenged educationally and very often behaviourally. And um, I used to put some drops of lavender on the radiators in the classroom. And it uh, it is remarkable how calming lavender can be. And uh, lavender in your bedroom uh, can actually increase your um, sleep uh, quite a lot. So um, 
go for some lavender it really does work and uh, it's nice and easy to grow too but uh, cut the cut the plants see the, the flowers off with some of the stalks and have a nice little jar of of lavenders in your bedroom uh, peace lily which is quite remarkable um, because loads of people grow peace lilies and um, they are beautiful looking plants they are very very good at um, removing toxins from um, the air as 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 is aloe i was going to say i forgot to say that aloe when you get brown spots on aloe leaves um, this is usually caused by there being excessive cleaning products in the atmosphere and so um, the aloe is is absorbing the um, you know the, the the air sprays and the disinfectants and all the rest of it and um, is actually cleaning the air from the cleaning products uh, peace lily does a similar thing and um, it's it's very good at picking up various organic um, chemicals from the atmosphere and you'd be quite surprised at the number of organic chemicals that we get from our furniture and uh, tradescanthia um, you know the sort of spider plant type things um, that are particularly good at reducing the amount of formaldehyde in the atmosphere um, <clears throat> as is we well, know what the americans call the snake plant but um here in the uk we call it a stepmother's tongue and they're good at um, absorbing uh, benzene type uh, molecules from the atmosphere and uh, again these can come into the atmosphere from our furniture um, so um, growing a stepmother's tongue when my mother had one it was huge and they grow very very well indeed um, very easy to grow they'll grow in the shade uh, and they're, they're working happily cleaning the atmosphere now um, Kew Gardens the Royal Botanic Gardens at uh, Kew from the RHS the Royal Horticultural Society um, produce reports about all sorts of things and um, they've been doing them on the state of the world's plants and this is um, some quite interesting information from the state of the world's fungi and I've, I've picked out um, some things that are of interest from that and uh, I don't know if you know this really because, but um, there's no real, real reason why you should know it but um, originally we had animals the animal kingdom and we had the plant kingdom and um, it was working fine fungi looked like plants and you know, they don't move they don't have um, legs or arms they don't make noises all the rest of it they, they don't behave like animals so they were lumped in with the plants until later on taxonomists that's people who name plants and animals um, decided that actually there's something about fungi that 
make them distinct, very distinct from plants. And so we had um, three kingdoms for a while. We had the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the fungi kingdom. Now we have many more kingdoms. We have protista and um, you know single-celled. We have um, eukaryotes and prokaryotes. So the, the the numbers of kingdoms we have now are are quite diverse. But genetic studies of fungi have shown that fungi actually um, are closer to animals than they are to plants. And going back through um, the geological record and um, looking at the genetics of these uh, of these uh, organisms, they, they've said that the plants and the animals divided off from um, the protists beforehand, that single-celled um, organisms. <clears throat> and then one arm led to the plants, another arm led to a divided arm, one of which was the fungi, one of which was the animals. So I, it's a big shock to me because I've not studied this at all. Fungi are closer to animals than they are to plants. And the second thing is that we're finding fungi all the time. Uh, in 2017, 2,189 new species of fungi were found. Which is, you know, just in one year, that's a humongous amount. Uh, the global market, this is number three, uh, the global market for fungi is $42 billion. And I've, I've um, listed the different things that we currently use them for. Uh, paper, uh, making paper, fungal enzymes make it um, more efficient. Obviously as food, we use fungi in biofuel to turn um, fermenting products into ethanol. Uh, we use fungi for vitamins. We use fungi for what they described as beverages. What they meant was beer and wine and um, spirits. Uh, so booze, in other words. Uh, and obviously, it's obvious that um, we use yeast for that. We use fungi for medicines. We use fungi to make plastic, which is quite interesting. Clearly, we use fungi in research. We use fungi for leather processing. Again, um, fungal enzymes make the leather processing um, more efficient. We use fungi in agriculture, especially um, in this a new feed out that's got fungi in there and that um, it gives an 18% or is it 13% anyway quite a big percentage increase in weight gain in cattle. We use fungi in washing powder. Uh, we use fungi uh, for processing cotton using the enzymes as usual. Um, we use fungi in bioremediation. What that means is they're working on fungi now to actually clean up pollution mess. 
So in other words, they're fermenting things like spilled oil and making it uh, less uh, dangerous and, and less harmful. Um, we use fungi to make cheese. And then there's one group that says um, we use fungi for cultural uses, which I take to mean uh, the use of hallucinogenetic um, material. <laughs> so, magic mushrooms and things like that. Um, 90% of all living plants have a mycorrhizal um, relationship. Now, we've, we've known about mycorrhizal relationships for quite some time. When I was a student, we did some work on um, Capsella bursa polustris. So in other words, in the UK, we call it shepherd's burst. I think in the US and elsewhere, it's called low hearts. And you get this little seed capsule that looks like heart um, on it. It's a little, basically, it's a little cabbage. And what we had to do was to open up the uh, plant, find a fungal hyphae that was inside the plant and follow where it went. Um, it was a bit like, it was a bit like trying to dissect a nerve from a muscle. It was very delicate and very, very fine. But there it was and it was going through, I don't know if you remember this, but in the past we've talked about the Casparian band in uh, the roots of plants that stop things getting in that the plant doesn't want in there, made out of wax. Well, the mycorrhiza, the fungus that's associated with it, goes through that band <clears throat> and can therefore take in uh, materials into the plant and also then um, it can also absorb materials. And the, inside the fungal hyphae, you can see the liquid moving around as it um, does its job. So 90%, we always thought that, you know, one or two um, or some plants had a mycorrhizal um, relationship, but 90% of them, that's quite a lot. And uh, you're beginning to see now on the television, actually, that when people are planting stuff, they say, add some mycorrhizal uh, fungi to the soil when you're planting stuff. Um, but it has to be the right one. Things like bluebells, for example. If you take a bluebell out of a wood and try to plant it in your garden, unless the specific mycorrhizal fungus is present in your garden, then they won't last very long. Uh, consequently, you have to be doing the right thing, using the right one. And uh, finally, um, the report talks about the rapid spread of um, fungal diseases and in particular over the last 10 years how um, ash dieback has gone from a, a very localized problem to um, enormous certainly European wide um, difficulty possibly even beyond um, so um, fungi very very important and my reason for bringing all of that up was because now is the time for looking at fungi in the garden. And I'd like to leave you with one thing. 2% of fungi are edible. 
2% of fungi are poisonous. The other 96%, you wouldn't want to eat them anyway. So, my ideal situation is either grow your own fungi or buy fungi, uh, buy mushrooms and don't go out foraging because if everybody went out foraging, there wouldn't be much left. Thank you for listening to An Hour in the Garden. We do hope you'll get in touch with us and tell us about your garden. Send us pictures. We'd love to know what our listeners are getting up to. If you'd like to help us in our work, then please consider becoming a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com and it's a kitchen newbie that you're looking for. And we do hope to hear from you very soon with your pictures and your ideas for your garden. Pretty soon we're going to be having a new podcast all about the good life, which is essentially gardening with a whole lot of information about chickens and bees and other garden livestock thrown in. So please do look out for that and we'll hopefully see you next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.